When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. This episode of the Bird Shop Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. On this episode of the show, we talk to author and avid Upland hunter from Wisconsin, Mark Parman. Thanks for tuning in to episode number 259. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Birdshot Podcast. Thanks for joining us on today's show. We'll get to our guest today, Mark Parman, for part one of our conversation in just a few minutes. I just want to quickly thank Patreon patrons of the Birdshot Podcast, those of you out there making voluntary contributions in support of the show to keep these conversations coming your way. Patrons get access to bonus content. They're eligible for all Patreon giveaways, and we do send everybody some Birdshot Podcast canned coolers and stickers. You can learn more and sign up at patreon.com forward slash birdshot. All right, don't forget to leave a rating, leave a review, subscribe to the podcast, follow the show, share an episode, tell a friend. All little things that just take a minute or two and do go a long way in supporting the podcast as well. All right, big week of travel ahead of me this week. When you are listening to this, the Seawee Show, Southeastern Wildlife Expo, will be underway. Perhaps you and I will have already crossed paths down at the show, hopefully. If not, maybe there. Otherwise, Pheasant Fest coming up in the beginning of March. Don't forget about that Onyx offline party on Friday night of Pheasant Fest, as well as the Trampled by Turtles concert for conservation on Thursday night before Pheasant Fest. Come find me at the Upland Gun Company booth at both events if you are able. Would love to meet you in person and answer any questions you might have about RFM Shotguns and Upland Gun Company. Hope to see some of you there. Okay, let's set up our conversation today with Mark Parman, former guest of the show. He was on a few years ago. We actually talk about it right at the start of the interview. I didn't know Mark all that well the first time I interviewed him. I have since gotten to know him a little bit better. We actually were on a sharp tail hunting trip together a few years ago. He's dropped into the cabin a time or two over the years, and he continues to entertain and educate myself and some other listeners I've heard from from over the years through his books. He's got two books, A Grouse Hunter's Almanac and Among the Aspen, and he might be working on a third. I don't think we talked about that until the second part of this conversation, which you will hear on the next episode of the show. But that said, it was great to catch up with Mark, talk a little grouse and grouse hunting, along with a bunch of other stuff. So you'll hear part one today and part two next week. For now, let's jump right in and welcome into the conversation and back to the Birdshot Podcast, Mark Parman.
It was October 20th, 2018 was when wow. the published episode came. So that's five years ago. Yeah. Five years ago. Yeah, that, wow. that was only year two of the podcast. So took me five years, but I got you back on, Parman. Thanks for joining me. <laughs> I remember back then, you know, it was, I I was probably, I'd only known our mutual friend, Mike Amon, for a couple of years. I had, my my family had got a cabin in northern Wisconsin. I kind of started hunting over there, and I can't remember. I think I met Mike through Ted. Ted introduced me to, to Mike, and so then I'm leaning on Mike for a you know, information and intel. Yeah. Yeah. The hot spots. Yeah. Where are they at Mike? And, and he was educating me on things and I don't remember if he, I mean, I was aware of you. I probably had your books at the time or the, at least the first one. And I don't know, some, some one way or another, I remember Ted went to a, Ted went to a book signing of yours. He made it sound like it was a pretty big deal. Parman. Yeah, it was at Rhinelander. Yes. Yeah. What, what? I don't know if it was a pretty big deal or not, but <laughs> what year was that? Do you remember? You know, I think it was right after Among the Aspen was published because I remember I that had makes it sense. There. Yeah, and I mean that's been typical. I mean UW Press was good at you know getting your books in public libraries and and getting it to like re, you know book festivals. So that, you know sometimes they'd ask me to do a reading. So yeah. So you are you are retired now. You, were you a university professor? Yeah, I taught at there's a UW branch in Wausau. That's where I taught for okay. 20, 27 years. Okay. You were a English professor? English, and I was the entire journalism department. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, nothing gets you in trouble like being a journalism instructor at a college. So, <laughs> how did you how did you how did you end up down that path? Was it was writing a something that you've always had kind of You know, I I went to University of Iowa and I was going to go to law school. You know, that's my okay. I wanted to be a lawyer. And I, you know, my advisor said, you know, take English because you need to learn how to write and, and read. And I guess I just started liking to read and write more, <laughs> wanting to be a lawyer. So that's how that came about. Yeah. But then we, we literally, my wife and I were in Iowa City and we got married and we just started throwing darts at a map and said, where do we want to move into northern Wisconsin, northern Minnesota? Okay. So we picked, well, Duluth was on the map. And okay. Wausau was on, Wausau was on the map and. We both got jobs in Wausau, so we moved there. So that was that. That was that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting. I mean, obviously, you pick up if if somebody were to read your books. Um, I just finished rereading a Grouse Hunter's Almanac, which was your first grouse hunting book. You've written some mountain biking books too, haven't you, or some other stuff? Yeah, I mean, I I, I really started writing silent sports, cross country skiing, mm-hmm. cycling, even trail running, running. That's that's where I really started writing, among other things. So. Hunting was just a natural offshoot to that. So. Yeah. Anyways, it, if if people read the books, they kind of pick up you know bits and pieces of your history and the Iowa connection. And so, so you're from Iowa, is that correct? Yeah, I grew up in Northeast Iowa, okay. right, right near Decorah, and my wife is from Southwest Iowa. So, so Northeast Iowa, that's that's Driftless region, part of Iowa. Yeah, it was it was Driftless, but I, it was right on the edge of it. Okay. So, it's funny too because when I go, we were just in Decorah. We went down to my mom's for Christmas and we go through Decorah so we could check out the breweries and you know, now it's all driftless this, driftless that, you know, oh, really a kid there. There was none of that. I mean, we knew it was different, right? Because it's really hilly. But it was right, you know, at ten miles to the west of me, you could get into pheasant, you know, country. And there was there was pheasants around the town yeah. I lived in too. So do you recall grouse? You know, because yeah, there were they're they're there, right? And and I see them now and then, like sometimes when I drive home from my mom's, I drive up the Mississippi River, and I've flushed, you know, a couple have come across the front of the car yep. down there. So, but when I was growing up, this friend of mine, he had one of the classic old gun cases, and he had a couple of grouse fans on there. And I'm like, what are those? And, <laughs> and anyway, his his family's a bunch of hunters, and we went up to Yellow River State Forest a couple of times, and grouse hunted us there. But I didn't know what I was doing, and you know, birds are flushing. I'm not seeing them, and I was pretty pretty. New and green at that time in terms of grouse hunting. So, yeah. but that was you know seventies, and there I think there were pretty good bird numbers there. Like you mentioned, Mike Amon before, and his dad hunted you know in Southwest Wisconsin. And he told me once that his flush rates were like equal to his. Really, up here, yeah, yeah. And that was, and I don't know how old Mike's dad is, but that might have been like sixties and seventies. So. Yeah, 
It certainly mm-hmm. tracks with what, I mean, kind of the little anecdote, obviously I wasn't around hunting grouse and I've never really hunted them down there, but when I was with the rough grouse society and hearing bits and pieces of kind of what that region once was. And then you, you know, you take it all in and you look at the scenery and the topography and imagine like, gosh, that, that would be a really neat place to go and find the kind of bird numbers you might find up here. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a beautiful area. I, yeah. I mean, I, I love that area. I got a good friend that lives down by Viroqua and go visit him at times. And yeah, it's, it's a beautiful area. So you think like the driftless stuff, is that like the fly fishing world kind of leaning in and just sort of painting that picture? What's the, or, or, or has that region in itself just sort of latched onto that as, as kind of their identity? Mm, I I don't know if it's just, yeah, it's just marketing, you know, I'm sure that's a big part of it, but I think, I think that, you know, that lifestyle, you know, it's been all small farms and, you know, it reaches across four states there. I mean, it goes into Illinois even. So yep. in Minnesota and Wisconsin, most, you know, the biggest chunks in Wisconsin. And and my mom grew up in Platteville and my dad grew up just west of Madison. So they're both basically from that area. So I spent a lot of time there as a kid too. What's the mountain biking scene like down there? It's got to be pretty good. Yeah. There's the Kickapoo Valley okay. Reserve where my, where my buddy lives down there. It's, it's, it's good, right? I mean, not, th- I think, one of the spots he took me to, they share trails with horses. So that kind of, mm. horses kind of tear it up. And, you know, then you run into somebody riding a horse and it kind of freaks the horses out. So, but it's, you know, you get up on top of those bluffs, it's beautiful. Yeah. I may, I may have gone on my very first ever turkey hunt in that part of the world. I remember horse trails and, and that was really the first time I ever spent, you know, a handful of days in that country. And yeah, I was, for lack of a better word, I was pretty blown away. I just... It's just very, very cool. Yeah, I think it's probably the Kickapoo Valley Reserve because they they were going to dam that. Mm. So they 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 condemned all the land, bought the land, and then didn't build the dam. So now they have all this public land. Oh, okay. So that was, and it's a really weird entity too because it's not a state. It's not controlled by the DNR. It's got its own. Oh, really? Bo- board. Yeah. This buddy of mine that lives down there was on the board, and was, you know, talking about you know how they're going to fund things and. I think they do get funding from the state, but it's a, it's like its own independent little unit down there. So. Do you know what the actual land ownership is? It state owned or or what is it? I think it's like this community trust. Okay, I mean, I mean I'm okay. not sure. Yeah, Open but it's, to it's not access. a you know it's not a Wisconsin DNR state area. Okay, but I, I mean, I probably shouldn't talk because I don't know that much <laughs> about it. Well, we may have been known to talk about things that you know, we're only speculating yeah. about on, on this podcast, like uh rough grouse snow roosting and some others. But the first thing I wanted to ask you was, I mean, what are the odds? Do they cancel the Berkey? What happens now? I don't think so. They have, they have snowmaking. Oh, they do. Yeah. They, they, Berkey runs a bunch of races. I did it. I did a classic ski race up there a couple of weeks ago on their 4k loop and we just did laps. Not that you wanted to laps. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's it trails, you know, from me North. It's been pretty good. You know, always gets more snow up here and we get a little bit of lake effect. So, mm-hmm. but they made in that below zero weather, they made tons of snow. Sure. I mean, they had piles that I, I was going up there to ski last week and here's my buddy and his son are sliding down it on their backs, on their coats. <laughs> I mean, they're like 50, 60 feet tall, these, you know, piles of snow. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. When is, is the Berkey, tr- is it February? Yeah. It's always the fourth. For Saturday in February. Okay. All right. I like have a, I mean, cross country skiing is something that I, I, I grew up doing it a little bit and then I got more into it last couple of years. Not so much. I wish I'd do it more, but I'm always, I mean, I don't get started right away because I'm grouse hunting as I know you are, you know, like if Mm -hmm. we do get that early winter, but I mean, this year I haven't even looked at my skis The we have snow here, but now it's deteriorating very fast. I mean, this is just very, very unusual. Yeah, I, I do not. And, and being a skier, you know, you pay particular close attention to the snow. And yep. I, I do not, I do not remember a winter where it was just so snowless and so warm. Yeah. Yeah. We've got like, like, I'm not even, I'm not even putting a dent into my firewood pile. I'm like, <laughs> I, I bet. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's like, I was looking at the 15 day forecast earlier this week and didn't see an overtime, an overnight low under 20 degrees, which was a number yeah. I had in my head after paging through some Gordon Gully and stuff, which we'll maybe we'll talk about later, but just 
January in northern Wisconsin, Minnesota, not you know nothing below twenty degrees, unbelievable. Yeah, it's it's unusual to say the least. But I mean, they predicted it. They predicted it with yep. a strong El Nino, so yep. it's not like. But they are talking. I just read NOAA's long range forecast, and they say there's going to be another polar outbreak. So, really? Yeah. Okay. Which isn't good for grouse if they don't have any snow. Exactly. That's a, yeah. That's not a good thing. So, so I said, so I know you're, I know you, one of the common things throughout, at least again, Grouse Hunters Almanac, that's one that I just reread is you include lots of snippets from, you know, the Gordon Gullians and, and some of the, you know, Harndon Foster, the George Bird Evans, but lots of kind of history and factoids from, from those books. And so like I went back and was reading because again, like you, we had this very, very mild late onset to winter if you could call it a winter and then there wasn't much snow but we had six to eight inches of fluff and then we had that like week straight of sub-zero stuff which that's what got me curious and you know it's i think they were they were okay through that just because relatively okay you know it would have been better if they had two feet of snow but it was it was the snow was very fluffy now that fluff is gone because we're 35 40 degrees and it's all going to be nothing so to your point the question is if we do get that next freeze snap hopefully we have more snow by then because it's that wouldn't be good no no that's not good for anybody that's you know that freezes your septic system too right so. <laughs> right right yeah yep good winter for I, good I, winter know, for deer keep, and turkeys i feel like well i i think it's good for grouse too if it you know so far it's been really good for them yes and they had I mean, even at the end of the season, I was shooting birds with acorns in them, and they were so fat. The last bird of the year I shot was just—it had so much it had fat inside the body cavity. And I don't—I don't know if I've ever seen that before in a grouse. So yeah. you know, maybe if they go—and I'm not a biologist, so right. I don't know how how long that <laughs> fat lasts. But there's some there was some good living out there. Yeah, yeah, and that and that was—I should have—I meant to ask you sort of what your assessment was up to this point, because yeah, that. With that, it was so mild. Again, no snow, but so mild, and there was so much availability and access to food. I mean, they were they were eating greens, you know, right up until almost the season closed because there was yeah. there was no snow yeah. cover and acorns, like you said. You know, I I read I think it was in Goulian I read that somebody did a study that showed that birds that switched to aspen buds had better survival rates than acorns because. Yeah, because birds and they were, I think it was Gordon Gould, he called it junk foods because, you know, they keep eating that stuff and then all of a sudden you get a bunch of snow and you don't have it anymore. And the ones that have sort of prepared for that are better off. Mm, yeah. That sounds familiar, but I think it's because you mentioned it to me when we were in November at my cabin. I think you mentioned that. Yeah. At, even at that point, we're all thinking like, you know, we had just had that Halloween snow, but then it warmed up and it was like, a handful of days of very, very nice November weather. And yeah, I mean, I think, I think we we're all thinking last year too, when we got 175 inches yes. of snow and <laughs> we're afraid of our houses collapsing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, and well, that snow messed. I don't know about your covers, but so many of my covers, there's, there's all this, my wife calls it snow down, which I think is the perfect word for it. Mm -hmm. It's all knocked down and, you know, you get, you get these huge tangles that you know, the girls were loving. So maybe that's a good thing too. So yeah, I was I was curious. So you did see quite a bit of that in some of the areas you frequent. Oh, it's 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 all over yeah. down here, and uh, I mean we just had this concrete snow. It just and and I you know like two or three in a row, and it just yeah, it was pretty worrisome. I mean I I've never shoveled my roof until last year. So mm. yeah, that was December of twenty two when we had the we had that early lot of snow, yep. wet, heavy. And yeah, there were some, there are some areas that I can't remember if we talked about this, not you and I, but on the podcast, but some areas just got flattened and like, you know, in talking to our buddy, Mike, you know, the, the, I know some of the county forests were looking at, you know, how do they, what do they do? You know, you got these four or five, six year old Aspen stands that were just flattened. And then they, I know they were going in and bulldozing some, like you basically got to start over. I, I I knew that was there. I kind of forgot about it. I saw a little bit of it when I was turkey hunting. And then my season started and a, mo the areas I spend most of my time, it wasn't as significant. And then later season, I tend to hunt areas that, that got hit with this. And I remember going down there one day in November. It was a spot I'd been kind of looking forward to hunting all year. 
And I got down there, and I mean, it was. I should not have gone in there. How do I get through? Uh, It was. It was basically unhuntable. I mean, it was like probably a maybe a ten year old aspen scent just hitting its prime. You know, like it has this huge, a very large cut with some really nice edges and seams and swamps through it. And I was. I started hunting it kind of early, but it was just hitting its prime. And yeah, I Hartley and I went in there and like. Again, I shouldn't have, but we flushed a couple of grouse. I don't, I mean, it, it's good for the grouse, but I don't know what you, I don't know what they'll do with a spot like that. It was unbelievable. And, and it was so, that damage is so widespread. I mean, so much, such a large area got hit with that. It's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's pretty significant here too. I, I don't, I didn't see it so much in the Aspen as in other, other types of mm. like birch, birch really get hammered. Yeah. But even, even like, you know, on our land here are like white pines and, balsams the little ones they just got you know bent over and they never came back right yeah they were like stuck and locked in that snow all winter yeah yeah i think robert frost has a poem about that about birch trees and if i remember you would know yeah (laughs) and one of my colleagues was a frost scholar so i remember i remember we were talking about it so i i was just reading this morning uh, i didn't get through it but i was you're in a passion for grouse two things you wrote in that book uh, passion for grouse. We we talked about that in November, and I I remember asking you about. There's this little story that you have of where your wife Susan she fell and like smashed her finger on a rock, and it's like you kind of give a little graphic description. So for whatever reason, this is just stuck in my head for years. And I asked you about it, and I thought it was in one of your books, but it's actually in that a passion for grouse book. Yeah, I think I wrote about it too, and I started calling that cover the Bermuda Triangle. That's right. <laughs> I you know so many accidents happened there, but. Oh no, that was horrific. I mean, it literally, I was with my brother. It, it, she, dog went on point. We're, you know, working up to the dog. She falls and has her finger under the trigger guard and lands with all her weight on this, you know, like suitcase size yeah. rock. <sighs> and it blew, it blew the nail off her finger. I remember she showed it and my brother started retching. Oh gosh. <laughs> what a help. <laughs> but, she had a she had a nougar side by side. That's that's the gun it was, and she has not shot it since. And in fact, I forgot about it the other day. I found it in her closet. And <laughs> she bought she bought a, a siren, you know, shortly thereafter. Oh, okay. Hasn't even looked at that gun. So then you got what slapped across the face in there? No, not at all. I mean, uh, in fact, we're I mean we're way. No, I thought I like thought a, I thought by a stick or something like the the other oh, accident. Yeah. Yeah, I got I got not by the eye once there. <laughs> not that she wouldn't do that, right? Or right, I deserve it. But <laughs> I got another time. I I tripped and I fell on this blackberry tangle. That was a lot of stuff happened there. So, but it was loaded with birds. So, you, you know, you keep going back. Kind of got it. Yep. Any other that kind of brings to mind, like any other? I I guess I've been pretty fortunate. I took a pretty mean scrape across my eyeball. This this fall like it was actually a, a day or two before i saw you that would have been like a like a hazel brush or something you know slipped up under my shooting glasses and missed the center of my eye but it was it hurt and it was it was scraped you had any other bad accidents like that i i scratched a cornea once and again the dog was on point and, yeah yeah but no i i don't know if it's just me but i i saw once this fall and Orlando right in the stock of my gun and Man, I, on my thigh, that, that hurt for weeks. But maybe I'm just getting old. So, but well, even, I just think it's inevitable. I mean, how many times do you fall a year grouse hunting? Yeah, you know, ha- half a dozen. Yep, at least happens. I do anyway. Yeah, I feel like I think this year I was on. I, I remember I was through a good chunk of the season, and I don't think I had fallen. You know, and then the minute you start thinking that, then I think I took a couple. One of the one of the things that's been getting me lately is is walking along in like a short little hazel brush or a whip or something and having it snap back right right between my legs that that's not a good yeah, that's one that's a good one yeah there's there's a thousand ways to to get lacerated out there yes. well, i think about our dogs i mean i, I oh. i've got i don't think you've met lewis he's a paint river but i mean he, he's just bloody every day you know he's he's got bloody front legs the bones i think those are occipital bones below his eyes yeah his tail it's like it doesn't even phase him right so I figure I should keep going. In doing it as, as long as you have, like with, you know, a few dogs and you write about them and kind of how you, you kind of measure your, your grouse hunting sort of history in your dogs. You know, it's, each one is a sort of a window into a different time period. I always appreciate that. 
But do you like what do you see in your dogs? Like, is it a different dog kind of runs through the cover differently, and some dogs beat themselves up, others don't? Like, what's your feeling on that? Well, Lewis is my first Paint River, and he's you know a totally different dog than a Ryman. Yeah, and then I have we had to put Fergus down. He was closing on fourteen and a half last spring, and he was a Ryman. Now I have Jenkins. He's about eleven and a half, and I mean I don't even. I put a bell on Jenkins. I don't even think I've ever had an e-collar on him. Wow. Because he just works, he just works, you know, methodically and and pretty close. And, and he's always watching me, but Lewis just tears through the woods. And he's just, he's he's got, he's so athletic and he, he's got such body control. That he never seems to get hurt and he's, he's a totally different dog. Yeah. So. Yeah, so, but yeah, I had my, my first dog was a Wyme, which, you know, my, my wife's family grew up with Beastless and Wyme's. You know, hunting pheasants in southwest Iowa. So, you know, we just sort of gravitated that way. But I sort of happened into an English setter and just, I just liked the way they worked. Yeah. Rough grouse better. So, and I, was the wine, is that an ox? English setter bias? No, Gunner was his Gunner name. was the wine, and then Ox was your first setter, right? Yeah. yeah. He, he, Ox was from a guy northwest of Washington. His name is Dan Tempeck, and his kennels were Alderwood. And he breeds some good dogs. He just, he's, doesn't breed a lot of them mm. but he's just he's just one of these guys that hunts a lot and breeds dogs so my good friend still is his brother-in-law has has his dogs and he hunts quite a bit with those dogs and those lines but those are also you know ryman type big i mean ox was over 80 pounds he was huge. yes he was a big big setter and he's he was a bruiser too he he really bashed you the woods but it seems like every dog has its idiosyncrasies and you know how they work so but i'm not you know i'm not somebody like Kyle Warren that has 14 dogs and right, you know, runs, runs all these dogs every day. And he's just got so much more experience and the numbers. Bigger sample size. Yeah. It's just, I mean, his sample size is massive. So, but I do like, I do like the way his, you know, his dogs work. I mean, I don't know anybody who grouse hunts more than that guy. So I don't know that I do either. (laughs) I I don't know how he does it. I mean, he's, he's, he's one fit dude. Yep. If, if he can do it every day, all day. So, yep. Yep. Doing that much, that much hiking. But yeah, it's, I, I guess I've, at this point, I've had the chance to be around enough of his dogs that, you know, much more so than, than any other just random breeder. So I feel like I have a pretty good, I've seen a lot of his dogs hunt and they're kind of know their, know their style. And yeah, they're definitely, definitely athletic and bird finders for sure. Yeah. They're just, they're, they're prey drivers is massive mm-hmm. and they're, they're also you know biddable yep. lewis is a sort of combination of this you know barely contained enthusiasm but he's you know <laughs> loving and he listens and yeah he'd be terrible if he wasn't biddable so uh, yeah well i was gonna pull on this tan so in a passion for grouse you just sort of randomly mentioned you weren't talking about the weather or anything but you randomly mentioned a a favorable late season where you had a string of good shots and opportunities kind of the late season, the covers down and that sort of thing. And you mentioned it was a very mild winter in 2011, 12 years ago or whatever. And, mm-hmm. and I figured I would ask you, it sounds like based on our conversation so far that maybe this, this late season topped that one, but what do you recall from 2011? I think if I, I mean, I have to go back and look at my notes, right? pull out, pull out my journals, but I, I just don't remember, you know, if, I guess from my opinion is anything after gun deer season, which, you know, ends the weekend after Thanksgiving in Wisconsin, anything after that, I'd sort of like gravy. Yes. Yep. Um, especially up here where we get so much snow. So, and also the, you know, the season used to be end of January too. So, yeah, but it would just seem like it'd be sporadic, you know, it's, you know, okay, it's close to 30. So I'm going to go hunt, you know, I mean, I, you can hunt when it's 10 below, but that's not a whole lot of fun. No. <laughs> you, can't even feel your, you can't even feel your gun, you know? Yeah. I mean, and you can do it in the deep snow too, but, you know, if you're wearing snowshoes or skis, you know, good luck if that bird, you know, gets up off to the side of you because yeah. you can you can really only shoot straight ahead. You can't really pivot on snowshoes or skis. So, But I think, I think every season until this one has been just pretty sporadic, you know, in the winter. If you can get out there really late in the season, it's a bonus. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd say this is this is the longest season I've ever had. Yeah, longest in and, just, and just most consistent. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You had mentioned that kind of right before I mean, we hit. Record. I did. Mike, Mike. We keep talking about Mike Almond. You guys hunted the last out. day of season, right? Yeah, we hunted last day. I buy you up up on 
road. I'm sure you know where that is. <laughs> I got to cut um, that out. It, part it, of it. It, yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it had snowed about, I don't know, four or five inches. And, you know, we had all kinds of points, but, you know, good luck getting a shot, seeing through all that stuff. So, you know, the dogs got a lot of good work, but we came home empty handed. So Mike might be mad that you mentioned that road name. Uh oh. <laughs> I I will bleep it out in the in the episode. There you go. Uh, you know, I figure anybody with Onyx knows where it, all of those covers are. So, well, especially in was I was going to ask you about Onyx. Do you use Onyx Hunt? I do. Okay, because you you definitely have have some commentary. I mean, you share your thoughts and opinions in the books, and <laughs> you have some commentary about. But I always appreciate it because it's like you're just sort of questioning these things and. And I guess I appreciate that too, as I reflect on things, you kind of, you know, we follow this path of least resistance and like Onyx comes along and it's like, oh, wow, look at this shiny new tool. Let me, let me see what it, what it does. And then maybe a couple of years down the road, you just, you know, you look back and think like, oh, how's this affected? And I mean, I certainly think that the level of efficiency that you can be as a, as a bird hunter, like sort of seeing the landscape like that and finding places and find, I mean, how much more efficient can you be than 30 years ago when you've got a plat book? You know, I mean, it's just, yeah, it, it, it was, does it was elevate. I mean, you used to basically, I'd, I'd wander around and, oh, you know, you're two miles from the road. This is a great spot. I didn't even know it was here, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, or my buddy, he's his, he's a dentist that had, he's brother in law with Dan Pempick, the Alderwood kennel owner. He, his partner in his, his dentistry, was a pilot so they'd fly around oh wow and cover in the wow. airplane oh look at that aspen stand <laughs> so that yeah there was nothing like oh yeah today but i i guess for me onyx and and i with all technology it's like you know what you know how does it benefit us yeah you know i don't te- technology is not a bad thing at all because i mean it's shotguns technology right although it's it's interesting because we like you know 100 year old guns mm-hmm. right mm-hmm we gravitate towards the old old technology when it comes to guns sometimes but yeah i think it's i think it's good and bad i guess what i'm seeing is there's there's so many places not on those maps where there are birds yep so if you're just you're just looking at onyx you're gonna miss miss a whole lot of places Gearing up for your next hunt? Check out Ugly Dog Hunting Company for all your dog supply needs. Ugly Dog Hunting carries a full line of products for your bird dog and even some for you. Whether you're looking for dog collars, GPS tracking devices, kennels, beds, leads, training equipment, or first aid supplies, Ugly Dog Hunting carries it and a whole lot more. New owner of the company and friend of the Bird Shop podcast, Mike Nadusky, loves to remind me that while I do hunt with pretty dogs, every dog can be an ugly dog. Check out the entire selection of gear for you and your bird dog at UglyDogHunting.com. For many upland hunters, along with their passion for dogs, birds, and the places we chase them, comes a passion for shotguns. Upland Gun Company specializes in customizing shotguns for the upland bird hunter imported from Italy and shipped direct to an FFL near you. Select from one of their side-by-side or over-under shotgun platforms and customize the fit, function, and aesthetics to your liking. Design and build your next upland hunting shotgun with Upland Gun Company today. Visit UplandGunCompany.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I've definitely noticed that how, you know, you, the, the, again, the map, the, the, the Aspen cut layers, sort of those shiny objects, they draw you in, they, they catch your attention. And more recently I've kind of sort of tried to take a, you know, 10,000 foot view and back up and like, okay, wait a minute, what am I missing by focusing on these? Cause you can, I mean, they'll, that'll bring you into a lot of covers. Look, just looking for those Aspen cuts. And I mean, you know that you go find one of those and walk the edge of it and see what you find. But there, as you say, there's a lot of, there's a lot of bird cover that is not necessarily highlighted by one of those cut layers or something like that. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I mean, you know, probably that, you know, I hunt some with Mike Almond, but I have a good friend in Sealy here named Jeff and uh, Jeff has, what's Ann Jornada's Northwind Scout and Hunt, Scout and Hunt. Yeah. He's, he's got that and it shows the age of the cuttings and that's, <clears> that's kind of interesting too. So, yeah, you know, you can look at something and see, Oh, this thing's, you know, 10 years old as opposed to 30. So it's another layer of um, detail for sure. Y- yeah. But what we found too, is they're not always, they're often not right. Yes. There's stuff that's not on there. And then there's stuff that's on there listed as, you know, oh, this would be a great cut. And you get there and it's like, oh, this, this is no good. Yeah. So I guess, I, I guess what I'm saying is it still comes down to your skill as a grouse hunter. Yes. Um, if you think you're going to shortcut it with technology, well, I guess it goes back to, you know, what are you trying to get when you're out there hunting too? So. Yeah. 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 It's kind of like um, you, like your relationship with technology. I mean, it's a good thing to reflect upon. And it is funny you point out like, you know, we, we might sit here and talk about, you know, we like hundred year old technology in, in our double guns, but then 21st, definitely 21st century in our forestry apps and mapping applications. <laughs> yeah. Or even social media. I mean, I, I, I would probably say the biggest for me, red light is, is social media and what it does to people, what it does to hunters. Yeah. You know, I just think there's, when I was back in my teaching days, my students, you know, I made them actually write quite a bit on technology and, you know, just evaluate and analyze it. And there's a lot of research, you know, say on Facebook and, you know, it's like the number one reason you go on Facebook is to make other people jealous. So, you know, we get, we get these tailgate shots and everybody thinks they're missing out and, you know, oh, I got to go shoot a limit and, I don't know if that's such a good thing. So yeah, yeah, certainly we we've, we've seen the kind of the spotlight on that, and yeah, and, and again, it's just this. I don't know. It's I mean, I was in college when Facebook came out, so I'm like maybe you know a, a perfect use case of like oh I you know I thought it was so cool when it came out, and you're connecting with your friends and kind of see it evolve over time, and then Instagram and turns into the you know the highlight reel of your life or your hunting whatever it is, and then. Again, at some point you stop and you turn around and you look back on the path that took you there and you're just, you look at it through a different lens, right? With different perspective. Yeah. I think it's, it's, well, technology is changing so fast. Yes. You know, I, I grew up and I, you know, I, we didn't have computers. We had rotary dial phones and, you know, you think, how do we live? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, I, you know, the grouse hunting was good back then. So <laughs> I guess for me, it really boils down to, you know, I need a shotgun and I need a dog and a bell and some shells, you know, like when I was a kid, I, you know, I didn't even have a hunting vest when I was a kid. You know, I, I tie birds to my belt loops on my <laughs> Anyways, I, and, you know, I was, I was very happy then, so. Yeah. Uh, Who was the edir- editor that you, that you annoyed by submitting an article that said to be a grouse on you, what do you need, uh, a good pair of boots? <laughs> I, I don't, I don't You were know. joking, but. Well, I mean, yeah, and, and I, I, you know, sometimes. You know, people don't like humor. I, I don't know why he got so upset about that. Actually, that that editor had my manuscript for Grouse Hunter's Almanac and oh. was thinking about publishing it. And then that he just went off the deep end. And that was that. You know, I think I think I have pissed off a few editors in my time. So, <laughs> well, you 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 by your own admission, you have some smart ass tendencies, including. The one I'm going to go off memory. I I got some notes. We might jump into some of this stuff, but <laughs> page 85, there was a story about you were in the woods and you heard like five shots go off and then you walked down the trail and found a, found a handful of shells and took those shells and left them on the windshield of that truck. <laughs> Do you remember that? Oh yeah. Like a, <laughs> in fact, this friend of mine, Jeff down in, in Sealy was hunting at a spot. We both hunt quite a bit here and 
there was a, I think it was a forestry convention. So there, there were county foresters mm. in Hayward and some of those guys grouse hunt. And I found out later it was, it was a couple of those guys. And he <laughs> said, they're just blasting away. You know, he, he's like hearing 10, 12 shots. Anyway, he got back and he shot two birds. So he did that. He lined up some shells on there, one wiper and a couple of feathers on the other. So yeah. Anyways. Yeah. There was, I couldn't believe there's five shells laying right there in the middle of the trail. So get yourself a semi-automatic and load her up. Yeah. Page 85. That was not, no, that was not the, the smart ass story. That was, this was, that was, a, this was an interesting one. Your friend, Paul, the landowner. I yeah. thought that was a really, yeah. really neat little chap. Do you still, uh, is Paul still around? You, Cause you've moved now. Yeah. Since, I saw he was, yeah, he's, I saw him skiing and he's since moved too. He, he bought some land up by his pretty good grouse hunting up in there and he bought a 40 up there and he built a house up there. But yeah, he's he's still plugging away. Has he picked up grouse hunting yet? No, no. <laughs> he does, you know, once in a while. This is, I don't know, 20 years ago. He was coming into town working a job somewhere. And he saw a grouse get killed on the on the road in front of him and he stops and picks it up. And I come home from, from school and there's this grouse at the door. I'm like, <laughs> what's, what's this? So yeah, that's his... That's his way of hunting, I guess, picking up ones that hit windows and whatnot. But. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, I just, that one was, you kind of described his land. One of the things that I love about your writing is just your descriptions of the cover and, you know, the white pines and the red pine. And I think I talked about this when I, honestly, I can remember when I had you on the first time, mainly because I guess you're describing sort of the places that I find myself in. So I appreciate that, but just that attention to detail, which is not uncommon for people that write about grouse hunting, but I just, I, I kind of love that stuff. And he had a, he had a neat, neat spot. It was like, he would log it and it was down by a river or something. And you had some pretty good, pretty good hunts in there. He would, he'd walk along. Yeah. He with had, you. he had, he had some ski trails that he grew on. That's right. Um, and I was out there, he used to have this big New Year's Eve party and he, uh, he was carpenter and he, you know, gather all the remodel wood and he'd have, sometimes this pile would be like 20 feet tall. You know, so, and he'd light it up and it'd be, you know, the flames would be as high as the trees. But anyway, we'd always ski before it and uh, I'm skiing around there and there's just grouse tracks everywhere. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, Paul, you ever see any grouse? He's like, oh yeah, they're all over out here. So I'm like, you mind if I come out and hunt? He's like, no. So then I started hunting his land and I'd usually leave him the birds because he loved to eat them. So. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. He was, he was right on the river too. So it was, you know, tag alders and mm. it was like just about the perfect bird cover. So, and he did log it, you know, he, he would, he had his own, he had a wood miser so he could saw lumber up and he had a kiln. Um, and he, he did tons of firewood. Mm. So he was always, he was always cutting trees. So it was really young forest and brushy and that's what you want. Yep. Have you ever, did, have you ever killed a grouse from your cross country skis? You mean like, uh, like skiing? on your skis? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Wow. And, and snowshoes. Wow. But it's not, as I said before, if, if you're in, in deep snow, you really can only shoot the ones that, at yeah. least I can, the ones yeah. that are coming out straight in front of you. Yeah. So it's mostly an exercise in, in uh, just taking the dog out there. So. It's just being out there, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, if it snows, I, I do a little biathlon deer hunting too, so. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. That's cool, yeah. actually. I, that would, that, yeah. I could see that working. Yeah, I should get a, I should get a real biathlon harness and put it on. Like, like last year, I was... You know, I can ski from my place down on the Berkey Trail. So I was skiing a couple of kilometers north of here and I'm looking down and there's, there's this one spot where they just pound across the trail and I follow the tracks in the woods and I can see four legs oh, wow. in the brush. And I couldn't tell which was the front or back of the deer right away. And I'm like trying to get my rifle off my back and then it, it bolted. Oh, uh-huh. that's mostly been my experience of uh, my biathlon skiing. So <laughs> did you ever, did you ever actually do biathlon? I have not, but the the Berkey is talking about putting a range in. Oh wow! Up at the up at the start, and I told Susan that I'm going all in if they do that. I'm going to buy an on shoots and see what happens. But you know, honestly, I'm not a very good rifle shot. It's it's so different than shotgun. Yeah, not much, and I shoot so much more shotgun. I don't shoot enough rifle, probably. So yeah, but it would it would be a blast. I mean. I love to watch it. I don't know if you've ever watched it. I, I haven't. No, it's, I, I've always been it's, curious it's, about it naturally because, you, you know, it's this, this, it was like the Olympics and you've got, there's a gun and, and obviously skiing. And I, 
people do it here. I don't know if they do it up at Snowflake. I don't know if you've ever been been up there. Off there like there's, Nordic there's a there's a what's what's west of Duluth about ninety miles Park or Grand Rapids? Yeah, I think it's Coleraine. Coleraine's like one of the okay, U.S. Okay, Coleraine's one of the U.S. biathlon hubs. Yeah, and there's you know like around here like there's quite a few skiers that you know have made that you know national team Olympic teams. So they're they're definitely around. So. Yeah, not, I knew but there it's just, was. It's so much fun to it's so much fun to watch because it changes the races. You know, somebody can be a mile ahead and then they come in and miss two, and they're skiing penalty right, laps, and now right. they, they come out and they're in twentieth. So it's it's just fascinating to watch and trying to shoot when your heart rate's one hundred and eighty mm-hmm. is a whole different ball game. So yeah, yeah, it's a it's a really fascinating sport, I think. So when you ski, not to make this a whole skiing thing, but do you, are you do you kind of do a mix of classic and skate skiing, or what do you what, yeah, what, what I, do we call it now officially freestyle or what do you call skate skiing? Yes, yeah, freestyle is is skating. Okay. I mean, the freestyle race you can do whatever you want, but yeah. skating's faster, so you skate. And biathlon's all freestyle and self skating. Yeah, and then classic. But I mean, I prefer to classic. It's it's easier on my hips. Yeah, as I get older and. It's a much more useful technique if you're going to, you know, bomb around the woods. I mean, you, you really have to have a, a groomed trail to skate. Correct. Around. Or, you know, a hard crust. You can do it in the spring. Yeah. Uh, when, the snow, when the snow hardens up. But yeah, I'd probably spend more time in classic skis. So I, I like skate skiing for the fitness component. You know, I like doing it. It's fun. It's fun to do. I like going to the groomed trails and skate skiing. But there are other times where I think i would i would be happy just kind of not being limited to those groomed trails and meandering through the woods what kind of ski like right now like what kind of ski would i be looking at to have sort of a backcountry touring ski like what would you get i mean there's there's so many i mean in terms of manufacturers there's all kinds right you know but just i'm like like style of ski like i like what would i be looking at I don't know. I have such a fleet of skis. Like I probably have, I probably have a dozen pairs of wood skis. I mean, I like to collect. Okay. And then people give them away and they're just these beautiful skis and they're usually pretty wide. So, you know, if it's powdery snow, they work that really well. But yeah. yeah, I bought a few years ago, I bought a pair of mod shoes, metal edged backcountry, you know, which I could take to, you know, do some telemark skiing too. Yeah. You know, let's say up at Asheville Bay or something like that. But, and they're about, I think they're 85 millimeters wide. So they float really well so you know I, I take the dogs out a lot you know in that those kind of conditions and mm-hmm. just ski around the neighborhood with them on backcountry skis so it's perfect for that yeah they stay pretty fit and i do a little ski jarring too but do you you know har- harnessing the dog yep. especially yep. lewis he, he just he just flies i think they'd rather run free and yeah have me but he's like what's this i'm tied to you yeah i've always been i've always been curious about the ski jarring i haven't done it. there's a there's a guy locally that he and his wife are big into it and they have a trail that I've for the last couple of winters I've been saying I'm gonna get down there now this winter it's like I don't know what what's gonna happen with with the snow but I'd like to try that but really I, I usually just kind of go for a free run and I usually go on snowshoes if it is a legitimate winter and we actually have yeah snow. well, snowshoes have, snowshoes are sometimes better if it's you know yeah yep if it's up to your knees you're just you're just waddling and yep. you need some flotation so. yeah and then you can too. I mean, I do too. Is I I'll snowshoe paths in, and I can ski on. Yes, so that works too. So, but as far as hunting, it's just as I said, you can do it, and I think a lot of people do. It's just sort of the novelty and yes. get out there, and it's just it's not very efficient. I mean, whenever it snows, it's not very efficient, right? <laughs> the birds are up in the trees, mm-hmm. and I, yep. I think the dogs have a harder time smelling them. You know, if they're snow roosting, I mean, they they can they can definitely smell. They them, can, yeah. I just, I just think it, it just adds a whole nother layer of difficulty to the process. And if it's cold, I mean, I just, yeah, I, I really struggle if it's, you know, below zero, it's like, I need mittens and I, how do you shoot? <laughs> well, I, I, I probably spent like 20 to 30 minutes in the last few episodes of the show talking about cold hands and, and cause I've got like Grenades and I got a bunch of glove recommendations, but yeah, same thing. It's I'm, I've just reached a point where if the, if the snow is too deep and the or the temp is and or the temp is below a certain point, you know my interest level drops yeah. significantly. Or you just say I'm going to go out and just enjoy the day. Yes, I, mean, that, I guess that's my attitude. 
when when you're facing that is I'm just going to get out here and see what happens. Change your expectation. Yeah. 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 You're not going to get a limit. So yeah. Yeah. And that was, although you might see it, you might see a ton of birds. You in might, spot, right. Yep. They're just piling yep. out of here. Yep. Yeah. La- my last hunt of the 2022 season was dogless on snowshoes. Cause I didn't even want to bring the dogs cause the snow was so deep. And I just went to a place where I knew that there was a nice trail that I was going to walk. I was going to be walking through grouse cover and maybe I would see one, you know? And I think I, I think I actually flushed three or four grouse that day. Did not get any shots. Got back to my truck. There was a grouse budding up in an aspen tree, and that was the end. <laughs> that was the end of the season, and I was totally content with that. You know, yeah. com- compared to the end of this season, where it was like my last hunt again was I could not have been happier with my final hunt of the season. It was good conditions, just barely a dusting of snow, if any, probably lots of bare ground, and we went out and moved a bunch of birds, and I got a couple. I got a look over each dog, and it was like. I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better end to the season on, I don't, that was January, I think the 5th, because it ended on the 7th and I hunted Friday right before it ended. Yeah, quit, quit while you're ahead. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. No, I think that snow came Saturday and that's, then Mike and I went on a That's Sunday right. Was, that's exactly right. Yep. There was snow and overnight. Because I, I, I was like you, I think I hunted on Friday okay. and shot a couple birds and had a really good day. And then he, he's like, hey, let's go. And I'm like, I don't know how much snow you got up yep. there. There's like yep. six inches down here. And it was, it was just one of those, it was just hanging in the trees. So you just can't, yep. you know, it wasn't hard to walk in necessarily. It was just, you couldn't, you couldn't see anywhere to, you know, you get into where the birds are and it's like, you can see like 10 feet here. And, but we had, I, I should have taken pictures. I was an idiot, you know, me and my relationship with technology. I, <laughs> I left my phone in my truck and we had, we had a couple points with Elwa and Lewis pointing together. And it's like, I should have taken a picture. Anyway, I didn't. Yeah, I got a little. I got a little recap of, not a lot of details, but I, I knew you guys had been out that day. But yeah, it's amazing how much. Again, the feel of, especially if you were out that Friday. I mean, the feel could not have been better for January. Yeah, whatever, it was. You know, it was. It was, it was near forty a totally different. And, totally yeah. different day. Yeah, I think it was about mid twenties that day. So it was, yeah, cool. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't cold by any Wisconsin stretch, but it was definitely not. Man, I'm out here in my, you know, long sleeve shirt. Yeah. Yep. It's January. What's going on? Um, what is? The, are you reading your notes? Yes, I am. <laughs> You're gonna have to edit that out. <laughs> Maybe we'll we'll see. But with you, with you, you know, it's just I read the book, and there's so many little tidbits in there, and I I, I was re- realizing like I jot these things down, and I have a little little app on my phone that I I kind of just write down little passages and stuff that I like, and whether or not I intend to use them on a on a podcast like this, I just save them. But I. I need to like attach a question to them is what I'm realizing <laughs> at certain times. But have you ever, have you ever had any wolf encounters? You know, I had one last year. Did you? Uh, I, I, I've had, I've had more than one. I saw my first wolf probably 15 years ago, maybe longer in Marathon County, you know, which is North central Wisconsin. And I, I only knew it was a wolf cause I, it had a radio collar. Oh, wow. And you know, that's right when they were, you know, moving into that area, they, you know, expanded their territory. But he just, that, that thing just bolted. And then I was riding my gravel bike through that same county forest a couple of years later. And I, I came around the only corner on this road and there's a big black one standing in the middle of the road. Jeez. And I almost ran into it. And he was more scared of me and he just, yeah, he just yeah. bolted. But, but last year I was hunting north of here. And we have, I don't know if you're familiar with frost pockets, but we have these depressions. I'm glad you brought that. I wanted to ask you about those because you write about them. Um, and and they're basically what it is is when the glacier retreated, they, you know, big chunks of snow and ice that carved out these amphitheaters, basically. And then when they melted, you know, there's your topography. But um, it's a, a, a nice spot. You know, it's like a kilometer walking in on a trail and then you got a bushwhack over there. And it's just... Aspen, it's like 10 year old Aspen, so it's perfect. Mm. And I was up on the top lip and Jenkins was down below in the bottom. And all of a sudden I realized something's running in front of him. I just thought it was a deer, you know, 30 yards in front of them. And I couldn't really see it through the thick Aspen. I could just see the, you know, the big body. And then on the other lip, this wolf howls. Oh, wow. And it does a, it does the, you know, one short and one long. And then the one cha- it's in front of Jenkins answers it back. And I'm like, oh, shit. Jeez. No, you they're know? talking to each other now. <laughs> yeah. 
And, you know, I didn't know that I was, I came home and Googled that, that howl. It's a territorial howl. No kidding. You know, so it's like, get, you know, get the hell out of here. Yeah. And I'm like, Jenkins, Jenkins, come here. You know, I'm like pleading with him. And, you know, he came up to me and I, you know, nothing's wrong. And I was going to leash him, but it's impossible to walk a dog to Aspen with a leash on. So I, I could look up and see where the hardwoods were. And I just made a beeline for the hardwoods. But that one of the wolves followed me all the way out. And kept howling. Really? Back to my truck. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. And then I got I got to my truck and I jumped into it and it was facing that direction of the trail. And I just waited there to see if maybe it would show, but it never did. It, yeah. But I thought, you know, I mean, I have an ambivalent relationship in the, you know, literal sense of the word with wolves mm-hmm. is that, you know, I they're they're magnificent animals and they're efficient predators. And but when you're out there with them and you know what they can do to your dog, it's like Yeah. Well, let's get out of here. But they're, they're everywhere. My wife and I were fat biking north the other day, and there's all kinds of scats, you yeah, know. Yeah. That's like a mile from our house here, and it's like they've been working through here, so. But, you know, I guess my my thoughts on it, is I think my dog is, and I had a dog that died at Lyme complications, and I think your dog could probably get hit on the highway in terms of, you know, risk. It's probably a greater risk. Right, so. right, yep. I don't, you know, if I know if, you know, that experience is like, okay, I'm getting out of here. You know, I'm, I'm not going to hang around and see what happens. That's for sure. So, yeah. Yep. It's been a, been a little bit of a topic of conversation on, on the podcast and we, yeah, I think most people kind of look at it the same way. I mean, there's just, there's nowhere you and I can hunt that isn't wolf country. So it's not like you can't. Yeah. I mean, the best, all, all the Northern, yeah, Northern half of Wisconsin, everywhere where we hunt, there's going to be wolves. So. Mm-hmm. And that's what, I don't know what the latest count is, what, 1,500 in the I, I I don't know. And I, you know, I mean, anytime somebody throws that number out there, you got somebody else saying, wow, that's, you know, there's way more than that. And who, who I don't, I don't know, but. Yeah, I know. You know, I, I went, I was covering for a newspaper I wrote for, I was covering, they have the annual wolf meeting, the DNR does, and it was, which is in Wausau, I was right there. So I went to it and they went through every pack in the entire state and told you how many Males are in that pack. How many females? Wow. How many juveniles? How many adults? And it's like, you know, who has a better record and more experience working with wolves? The, the guy DNR, who sits in the deer stand for a or, couple weekends. <laughs> yeah. I, you, know, at, you know, and it's not that we can't question right. wildlife agencies, but I'm really tired of this sort of armchair. I don't even know what it is. It's not biology. It's just, you know, I have a hunch yeah, you know, yeah, and and there's all kinds of that stuff going on. Yeah, there, no there's doubt. a movement right movement right now to limit hunting and uh, deer hunting in Wisconsin. The northern half, did you can just shoot one buck because you know we ain't seeing no deer, right? Yeah, and uh, you know my and Susan shot two deer in opening day last year. They're all over, you know. And I just want to see where are you guys hunting and how are you hunting? So, but I do, you know, I I think there are areas in Wisconsin where you know there are fewer deer than other places, mm-hmm. but. Just, just the same with grouse. You know, when guys tell me, I don't see any grouse. It's like, well, where are you hunting? I just saw a Facebook guy was talking about how so few grouse he saw this year. So. Yep. Anyway, I, I think sometimes, I, I've noticed this as I get older, there's a lot of older hunters that, and I'm talking about guys that are 75, 80, that, you know, they really can't get off a trail anymore. And I, I think that makes it difficult to put up birds. So mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, maybe there's the good old days mentality because- yeah, you were 40, 50, 60 and, and you could move a lot better. So what was the what was the hunter effort level and and are you taking yeah. are you taking an honest look in the mirror as far as like what you used to be able to do and what you're doing today? Yeah. yeah. And I, I think we're all susceptible to overestimating for our, sure our skill level. But I guess if things aren't going the way you plan, I guess the first place to look at you know, at yourself and Maybe I should do something different. So yeah, Anyways. Mike and I talk chat about that. Just again, the the hunter effort level, kind of like helping to quantify the you know the hunt report. You don't know if you're comparing apples to apples. You know, did you hunt two weekends and and have a couple bad weekends and think it wasn't very good, or did you hunt fifty days, fifty days for the season and track your flush counts and every you know that's there's two different kinds of reports and yeah, I think you need a really I don't know if you get the royal or the loyal. I almost said royal, loyal order of dedicated. <laughs> yes, yes. One thing I, I like about that is that that end of the season wrap up with all that data There's and those those samples. Are, yep. Yeah, they're pretty small, and you look at some of those guys only might be hunting eight ten hours, 
in a year, which is, you know, not a very good sample size, but it's something, right? Yes. And it's and then the, quantifiable. He's got, he's got the, yeah. And he's got the years, you know, going back and flush rates and all of that. So it's, it's, you know, more than the guy saying, I didn't see any birds. So yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's so subjective, I guess is what I'm going to say. Just, from, yep. you know, to me, to you, to whoever. So Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Birdshot Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. And if you really love the show and want to contribute above and beyond what you already do by listening, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash birdshot. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Birdshot Podcast. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.